Blessed are the blamed. Blissful are believers being beaten. Boys bullied in school are beaming with joy. Cheerful are Christians who never get to cash in on what was promised them. Disciples who are delighted, who are drugged through the mud and ecstatic are those who are excluded. Glad are the girls who are gossiped about. Joy to those who are the butt of jokes. Merry are the misrepresented. Overjoyed are the ostracized. And pleased are the parents who are unappreciated. And those tormented for what they profess are tickled pink. I like the way Jesus put it. Blessed are those who are persecuted. My name is Pastor Dave. I, well, my name's Dave. <laughs> I serve as the community outreach pastor here at Living Hope Church. And we're going to do something very weird, very strange, that maybe you've never done on a Sunday morning. We are going to celebrate your persecution. Today we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 12, uh, 10 through 12, and we're looking at the last beatitude on the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus declares his disciples blessed nine times. And the tenth time is not a declaration of blessing, it is a command to rejoice and be glad. This is the first explicit command on the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read through the Beatitudes together. I'll be reading through the English Standard Version. Uh, feel free to use any translation that you have. Follow along with me. Also, the words will be on the screen. And I just want you to listen to Jesus' declaration over his disciples who are listening to him and the one command. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The sermon is going to be different than others you may have heard about persecution. There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, notice how Jesus moves from saying, blessed are those to blessed are you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the hearing of the crowds. But it's his disciples who come up to him on the mount 
where he's sitting, and Jesus is declaring this to his disciples. This applies to you, just as it applied to them, those who are disciples of Jesus. So one thing that this sermon is not going to be, this sermon is not for those who are not yet believers in Jesus. Because this command to rejoice and be glad is not something that you yet can do. Because the motivation doesn't belong to you yet. This celebration that we're going to do this morning belongs to those who have faith in Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. It belongs, if, if the kingdom of heaven belongs to you, if you're in Christ by faith, this applies to you. But if you're, if you're not yet sure that your faith is solely and squarely on Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you, then this doesn't apply to you yet. And it maybe that's you here today. And maybe you are saying to yourself, I'm not exactly sure if my trust is not on myself or other things and it's fully on Jesus. And if that's you here today, I just want to say welcome. You know, we're so glad that you're here at Living Hope Church. And just as the crowds were welcome to listen to Jesus declare these blessings, you are welcome to listen in as we Christians celebrate the unfairness that we experience because we claim the name of Jesus. And I want you to know that as, as you listen in, that people in this room right now are praying for you. That you would walk away leaving delivered from, rescued from the kingdom of darkness that is full of death and darkness and evil and sin and transferred into the kingdom of God, which is full of light and love, forgiveness and new life. Let me pray right now. Father in heaven, we commit our time to you as we study scripture. And I do pray for anyone who is not yet uh, in the kingdom, who is not yet uh, putting their faith, throwing their faith solely on Jesus and belonging to you and you belonging to them. God, that they may come to faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Second thing we're not going to do today is we're not going to talk about stories of spectacular persecution. All right. The truth is today, there are people who are being tortured for Christ. There are people who are giving their lives for Christ around the world. And if I wanted to, I could share personal stories because I have had friends who have lost their life for Jesus. I have walked with people who have, been, who have suffered great things for the name of Jesus. There are unseen scars in my family, for Jesus. But that is of not your concern. Because Jesus' command to rejoice and be glad under persecution applies to everyone. And if you are in Christ, you have experienced this to some degree. I want you to go look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. This is how Jesus defines persecution. Those who revile you. What is reviling? That's anyone, has anyone criticized you for your faith? Has anyone criticized you? Given you a hard time? 
because you trust and you follow Jesus? Has anyone been angry at you or insulted you for being a Christian? That's reviling. How many of you can, you can say, I've had a friend, I've had a neighbor, I've had a family member, I've had a spouse. Insult me, give me a hard time, get angry at me, not because of anything wrong that I was doing, but because I wanted to sincerely just follow Jesus, that he's the leader of my life, not them. The verse continues, Jesus says, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. How many of you have been misrepresented? Oh, you're a Christian, you believe this. You believe that I'm going to hell. I believe everyone's on their way to hell. And but if it wasn't but for the grace of God in Jesus, that there's the, there's the opportunity for, for new life, for forgiveness, to be reconciled with God. No, you, you believe this. You say this. How many of you? And maybe this is the first time in a long time that you had a brother in Christ or a pastor cheer you on to celebrate the unfairness that you might have gone through because you claim Jesus, because you trust in Christ, because you follow Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he says this to Timothy. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many is that? I have heard this verse twisted in ways to make it sound like all who are godly and all who do live a perfect righteous life will be persecuted. What does it say? All who desire. If you're a believer, who has put in your heart the desire to trust and to follow and to be like Jesus? God did. He opened your eyes. He changed your heart. He made you a new person. You now desire to trust and to follow Jesus, right? If you have that desire for godliness, you will be persecuted. So there's three points in this message I want to draw out. First of all is that God himself, God is blessed. If you want to understand what it means to be blessed, those who are persecuted, you need to understand that God is blessed. This is an attribute of God. Second, the blessed are persecuted. And the third point, that the blessed are a blessing. So the main point is this, that, that you are called this morning to enjoy God's happiness over you in the face of unfairness for Jesus because of Jesus and his righteousness. So the first point, God is blessed. Did you know that blessedness is an attribute of God? Blessedness is an attribute of God. Uh, so Wayne Bru Grudem, Brudem, Grudem, Wayne Grudem uh, is a scholar. He wrote a good uh, systematic theology. I should have brought one up here. I can show you. There's actually copies of it in the Lifetree uh, Resource Center. We have a couple systematic theologies that'll, that'll go through uh, doctrine point by point about who God is, you know, who Christ is, the human condition, you know, all these things. Well, in Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, 
under the attributes of God, one of the attributes he has is the blessedness of God. And I want to read this quote to you. This is from Wayne Groom's Systematic. To be blessed is to be happy in a very full and rich sense. Often scripture speaks of about the blessedness of those who walk in God's ways. Yet in 1 Timothy, Paul calls God the blessed and only sovereign, 1 Timothy 6.15, and speaks of, quote, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, 1 Timothy 1.11. In both instances, the word is not eulogetos, which by the word, that's where you get the word eulogy, and it literally means to speak a good word over somebody right? We do that at funerals. We do eulogies, that God would speak a good word over us. That's not the word that describes God. So it's not eulogetos, which often translated bless, but makarios, which means happy. The Greek word makarios is the same word that we have been saying in the Beatitudes. When Jesus says blessed in Matthew 5, it's makarios. It means happy, Happy are those. Happy are you. Let's continue with Grudem. Thus, God's blessedness may be defined as follows. God's blessedness means that God delights fully in himself and, that in, and, that, and in all that reflects in his character. This definition indicates that God is perfectly happy and that he has the fullness of joy in himself. God doesn't need anyone or anything. He is full of joy. God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. For eternity past, God has been perfect in, in, in joy and relationship and community in himself and in overflowing joy. He created the world, not because he had to, because he wanted to, he delighted to. He created man and woman in his own image as image bearers, not because he was lonely, because he was full of happiness and joy and it just flowed out of his attribute, his character to make you image bearers of God. And it so pleased God, not only that, that when we rebelled and walked away from God, that at the cost of his son, at the cost of the life of, of Jesus Christ, that God would freely give up his son to die on the cross for your sins, to, to reconcile you back to him. Not that you would have to prove yourself or do anything except trust in Jesus, what he's done for you. And then God changes you and does a new creation on the inside of you. He puts new desires in you, gives you a new heart, changes you from the inside out. Why does God do that? Because he is the blessed God. Amen? The same Greek word makarios is used to describe the the, uh, the, the blessings and the Beatitudes. So what does it mean in the Beatitudes when Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those? Uh, I read this from my Bible dictionary. It's, this is from the Lexham Bible Dictionary talking about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. It says this term, it's talking about being blessed. This term is used to recognize an existing state of happiness or good fortune rather than to express a wish or an invocation of blessing. This suggests that the Beatitudes are not a statement of what people must do to be blessed, but an affirmation, a statement affirming the blessedness that certain people already possess because of a present or future condition. Jesus does not prescribe action, but affirms a blessed state. 
So consider this. You remember Moses? He ascends the mountain to God. And God delivers him ten commandments. You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. Jesus sits on the mount. His disciples ascend to him. And Jesus delivers ten blessings. And only one of which is a command. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, happy are those, happy are those, happy are those, happy are you. Rejoice and be glad. God shares his attributes. The blessed God announces the blessedness of those who belong to the kingdom. So how does this, what does this even look like? I think First uh, Peter gives us a good example. You know, Peter was there for the Sermon on the Mount. And you can see this in his language when he talks about persecution. First Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says this, If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And that's our same word, makarios. You are happy, you are blessed. Because, why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for being a Christian, God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of glory, the blessed God, his spirit rests over you, friend. When Peter and other apostles were interrogated in Acts chapter 5 by the Sanhedrin, by the same council that condemned Jesus in his trial, by the same high priest, they were beaten and they were commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 5 verse 41, they did this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced. Happy or the persecuted doesn't mean that you are above the pain or above the sorrow or above the heartbreak because that would be weird. If you're getting beaten, you're like, oh, this is so nice. I love this. That would be, buzz. you would be, we'd, <laughs> you need help. Okay, That's, <laughs> what it means is that on the other side of persecution, on, on the other side of it, there's joy, and we know that because that's that's Jesus. That's Jesus' example himself. You read about that in uh, in Hebrews chapter twelve, verse two. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame. He didn't enjoy going to the cross. He died. He was tortured. But there was joy on the other side. And for the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of reconciling a lost world back to God, he endured the cross and on the other side is joy. Which means, friends, 
If God was willing to purchase our salvation at the cost of his son, who endured such persecution, it makes all of our suffering and anything that you might have ever gone through, just a single tear in an ocean of the joy of God. You can never out-suffer Jesus. Okay? Remember that when you're in the deep depths of suffering. Blessed are the persecuted. Point two. So the world comes against blessing with persecution. And that seems kind of weird. Because as we live out these beatitudes, these kingdom characteristics, these things that are true of us because we're in Christ, why on earth would anyone persecute that? Like, why on earth would people want to persecute people who are meek, people who are poor in spirit, people who are peacemakers? People who just hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why would anyone come down on that? First Peter helps us again in chapter 3, verse 14. Peter asks it as a question. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Right? Like, if you really want to pursue Christ, if you really are living out these characteristics, like, why would anyone harm you? But it still happens. Because see the rest of the verse. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Same word. Happy. How many of you face hurt and rejection despite your best efforts to keep the relationship? It's confusing, isn't it? How many of you have a story like, I'm a new person. God save me. I'm going to get baptized because we're going to celebrate that I am now in Jesus. How dare you? How dare you? God forbid your mother finds out. You know, we had you baptized in the church and we raised you in the church from when you were a little baby and now you're turning your back on us and now you're telling us that what we did was wrong. How dare you turn your back on your family? We're not going to your baptism. Anyone have a sense of what that's like? Why? The reason is this. Your blessing, your happiness in God exposes the brokenness and the insecurity and the sin of a lost world. Darkness hates light. Darkness will retreat from you or lash out against you. Happy disciples who are poor, think of it this way, happy disciples who are poor in spirit, right? That's the first beatitude. Happy disciples who are poor in spirit can be uncomfortable to be around. Why is that person who is so low Live as if they are so happy. It exposes the insecurity and pride of someone who's standing on their own spiritual achievements or legacy or riding on the coattails of a family or tradition. Happy disciples who mourn. Happy disciples who are okay with embracing sorrow and crying and mourning and pain. 
Yet underneath it is this, is this grounding of joy and this hope exposes people who are afraid to even mourn. Because when they mourn, they mourn as those who have no hope. It exposes people who try to escape through addiction. Those who, if they were to embrace the sorrow of someone's passing, would just lose themselves and be of no use because they don't have hope. Happy disciples who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you expose the fake Christian legalists because they have to whip themselves with rules. Right? They have to whip themselves with rules. They have to whip themselves into motivation because in their heart is not a desire, a hunger, a thirst for righteousness. They got to fake it till they'll make it and they'll never make it and then they see you. Hunger and, hunger and thirst for righteousness and being happy in just the desire and that you're looking to the righteousness that comes from God in Jesus and you expose legalism. Happier merciful disciples because you, you expose judgmentalism. Happier disciples who are pure in heart exposes the Instagram Pharisee who themselves can never be transparent, can never be vulnerable. And the happy persecuted expose that the unfair treatment of innocent disciples is really people venting their hatred on Jesus himself. Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, once a persecutor of Christians, heard it from Jesus himself on the road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You aren't invited to my wedding because you told me, because I'm a Christian, I shouldn't marry someone who's not a Christian. You say you love me. You say you support me. But you don't love me. And you don't support me. You're not invited. You Christian, what's happening is you are in the crossfire. You are in the crossfire with people and their own personal war against God. And, and, and be, be you, by you just being happy and trusting and following Jesus, living out these characteristics, you expose sin for what it is. You expose the world for what it is. And it's painful to be attacked. Even more heartbreaking when it's from someone you deeply care about. But it also confirms what side you're on, doesn't it? God also uses it to nurture you. You, you know if you suffer because not because you're a jerk, but because of you're just trusting in Jesus, you know you're in Christ. And you can rejoice and you can be glad even in that. Because you know more deeply that you belong to Jesus. All right, here's the third outcome. Why does God allow us to be persecuted? Because we are blessed to be a blessing. The blessed God. And, I, you know, I understand that sometimes people have a hard time talking about God as happy or this blessing as being happy because it seems like such a trite word, right? 
It's like, it just seems like something you just throw in a lot around. I'm, I'm happy. But what we mean by blessed, what we mean by God is happy, what we mean is that this is a, a eternal, unchanging, perfect sense. The God is beaming with joy, and that is something that he shares with those who belong with him. Besides, the word blessed is abused today anyways, right? How are you doing today, sir? I'm more than blessed. How can you be more than blessed? Oh, bless her heart. Uh-oh, here we come. She's on her fourth relationship this year. Hmm. I hope you understand that what we're trying to get at is that God is not a God who's lonely, who's needy. God didn't save you because he needs you. God saved you because he loves you, because it's who he is, because he delights in creation. He delights in new creation. He delights in salvation. He delights in sharing his very character and people being able, image bearers of God, reflecting his own glory. So we talked about why God allows persecution, right? First thing, it builds up your own hope and your Affirm, you know, it affirms your faith. It nurtures you. You know, we talked about how, you know, your reward in heaven is that much greater, you know, because think of it this way. If you haven't gone through mourning and if you haven't experienced pain, how, how would you, you know, you would not be able to enjoy the comfort of God himself as much. But the third thing is that finally, God purposes your persecution to lead other people to Jesus. In the next couple verses, uh, Pastor Blair is going to teach from, and I would sincerely invite you back um, as we continue to go through the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to just point out Jesus' conclusions in verse 16. This is what Jesus says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The blessed God blesses you to be a blessing to others. A number of you who are now in Jesus, once mocked, once criticized, once excluded other people because, of their, because they're Christian. I know I did. I was a jerk <laughs> before I became a Christian. I was a jerk. And for me, it exposed my own hypocrisy and my own need and my own brokenness. Why do I have to give my Christian friends such a hard time? Well, because I need Jesus. <laughs> Brothers, don't be jaded. Don't believe that everyone who sees your light will be against you. You will be surprised at who responds to you with favor. In my 20s, I was a missionary to a closed Muslim country and I started by applying for a single-entry tourist visa, and it was quite a process. I had to go to the, uh, to the embassy uh, for three days. Each day, I had to come back and do a different part, and the third day, I had to do a visa interview, which is more like an interrogation, okay? So I'm sitting there ready for my visa interview, and I'm just I'm just trusting the Lord with this. And there's this dude sitting next to me. 
Imagine me, like, I'm some punk. I'm a Christian jerk. You know, I'm not a jerk, but, you know, I just, I'm sold out for Jesus. I'm a young guy in my 20s. I'm sitting there, you know, torn jeans, flip-flops, wanting to go into this Muslim country. And I'm waiting in the waiting line. And this guy, he's a big guy, dressed, clean suit, but he's sweating like crazy. There's splotches on his neck. He seems really nervous. And I was like, hey, man, so why are you going to this country? He's like, oh, I represent the work of the Clinton Foundation. And I'm like, Pat, you're not getting in. <laughs> and then my conscience pricked me. I'm like, that wasn't a nice thing to say, Dave. It wasn't nice. And I said, I'm sorry. I, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sure you'll do great. And then he looked back at me and he's like, why are you trying to get in this country? And I was like, well, I feel bad. So I'll just be completely honest with him. I said, I'm a missionary. I'm here to tell Muslims about Jesus Christ. He's like, you're joking, right? I'm like, no, I'm not joking. He's like, you're definitely not getting in. <laughs> okay. So the door opens. I go in for my visa interview. And this guy in the embassy who's like interviewing, interrogating me is sharp. He goes through all my itinerary, all my work background, everything. Ask me clarifying questions, all of this. And then says, I know you're a missionary. Like, that's not a question. He's like, I know you're a missionary. And I said, sir, I know about the history of your country, about colonialism and how British missionaries and colonialists will come in and try to change your culture and change your people and make you more Western. I know about those missionaries. Sure, I assure you I'm not that. And he looked at me, he's like, Did you know, do you know that proselytizing is illegal in our country? And I said, sir, yes, I know. But I have a concern. I have a question. I wasn't going to say this. I'm saying this because you asked. I am a Christian. Am I going to be okay being a Christian in your country? He's like, yeah, yes, we have Christians in our country. Sir, part of my faith is that when someone asks me about my faith and my religion, is that part of my faith is I cannot lie about it. I have to say and I would hope if I was talking to a Muslim about their faith that they would also be honest with me about what they believe. And he's like, yeah, you can practice your religion. But he looked at me again. He's like, but I know you're a missionary. You are excused. Go pick up your passport. Retrieve it on the way out. So I get up. I go. I get my passport. I open it up. And I didn't get a single entry visa. I got a three-entry visa. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Jesus. Why would this guy give me more than what I asked for, knowing that I represent Jesus Christ when I go into his country? <laughs> Is that amazing? So I walked out of the embassy, and I saw the Clinton Foundation guy again. He looked, uh, he looked a little better, so maybe there was some good news. So I asked him, so how did it go? And he said, uh, I, didn't get a, I didn't get a visa. I said, I'm sorry. And he's like, I'm guessing you didn't either. <laughs> I, like, I couldn't hide my smile. <laughs> I just shrugged. I was like, Then he was like, you bleeping missionary. Like he started like cussing me out and like just storming off. And 
You're in Christ by faith alone. You're united to Christ. You don't wear a, a reversible jersey, friends. Right? When, when your employer hired you, he hired a Christian. You know that? When you go to work, you don't clock in and hang up Jesus. After I was a missionary in this country, I came back and I got an office job. I sat in a cubicle and my boss told me, you know, I'm not hiring you as a missionary here. I'm hiring you to do work. So focus on work. I was like, all right. And I'm working my cubicle. One guy, one young kid walks in and he's like, starts just interrupting me and telling me about this sexual adventure he had over the weekend. And after that, I was like, thinking to myself, why does he get to interrupt me with about the sin that he enjoyed this weekend, but I'm here quiet about Jesus? Got me. So I was ready the next time he came around. And I said, before you tell me anything, let me tell you what I did this weekend. How I celebrated Jesus. Let me tell you about how Jesus gave me a new life. How he rescued me from sin. How he rescued me from sexual addiction. And gave me purpose and joy and marriage. He didn't bother me after that. <laughs> and, and then I, I just made it a point to, you know, I'm going to respect my, my boss's uh, request, but I'm going to go out to lunch individually with every one of my coworkers. I'm going to listen to their story, and I'm going to share my story. And then when I share my story, they're going to hear about Jesus. And some of that led to ongoing gospel conversations. And there were maybe one or two people who probably didn't want to hang out with me after that but there are others who did. Rejoice, friends. I hope what you find as a church, and I would invite the worship band to come up. Um, this is kind of the closing point as we continue to worship. I hope you find that as a church, what does this mean for us? That we're not easily squished into a box. Okay? We're not about religious rule keeping, but we're also not going to wink at rebellion against God. That's just not who we are. We are born-again people. We are a new creation created in Christ for good works. We do good because God changed our hearts. God put it in our heart to desire godliness, and we are not, as a church, we are not ashamed of the teachings of the Bible. Teaching the Bible, that's our secret sauce, right? We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of God's heart for the lost, we do not downplay the power of God in regular believers, regular believers, priests of God, people who are in Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. And when you are reviled and when you are insulted, the spirit of glory and of God rests over you. You have joy. We will be persecuted we will be slandered, and as a church, we have been. We will be reviled, and as a church, we have been. Evil things will be said of us. It hurts, but it's okay. Because we are happy even to be caught in the crossfire of a world that is at war with God, who himself is using us to invite people back to himself through Jesus. May our church be marked by this. Don't be ashamed to invite people to fellowship with you here 
even if we are weird to the world, even if we're criticized and despised, so what? God says that we're blessed. We are light. We are living hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. We celebrate today, God, that we belong to you by faith in Jesus and you belong to us, that ours is the kingdom by faith in Jesus. We celebrate the joy of knowing you. And we continue to celebrate that through song. In Jesus' name, amen.